It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Welcome to our series, Masters of the Universe. We are lucky to have Catherine Austin Fitz of Solari Investment Advisors with us today. Thanks for taking some time to come on, Catherine. Thank you. And the name has been changed to Solari Investment Screens. Uh, it's, it's what? Say that again? Solari Investment Screens. Oh, I was okay. an investment advisor, and then um, I converted to just doing a screen. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Tell us what you're doing before we get into the markets, what what, what you're doing. And, so and the one thing I said, I would never be as an investment advisor. Right. And then I was forced by circumstances to go public and talk on the radio. And I would get thousands of questions. And ultimately, most of the questions required me to become an investment advisor if I was yeah. going to answer them. So, uh, so I became an investment advisor for 10 years, which was one of the most amazing learning experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And of course, like all investment advisors, I was dealing with more and more regulation. And finally, on the final regulatory spin that required me to give them, the regulators required me to give them all the data on my clients, including their non-securities, non-banking data. Jeez. That's what I said. So first yeah. I notified the clients and I literally negotiated an agreement. And I said, I will only bring these documents to you in paper. And you have to basically sign and say that only state employees can see them. No corporate contractors will be allowed to access these documents, let alone digitize them. Mm -hmm. And they agreed. But that I said, that's it. And then I was, I was going to be required to light cybersecurity software that as far as I was concerned would allow God knows who to see everything. And I said, I'm, yeah. I'm not doing this. I have a colleague who was fighting that cybersecurity battle. Uh, he was actually blackmailed because of it. But um, anyway, it's, it's, you know, I can't tell you privacy is worth real money. It sure is. And yeah. And you do not, there's certain data you do not want out there. I used to see it. So I was a federal regulator once upon mm -hmm. a time. And my, you know, our biggest war was the employees used to trade the data to Wall Street firms in exchange for all sorts of little pet treats, right? Yeah. And it was an open sieve. So whenever the federal government says, oh, well, this is private, I'm like, trust me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing screens. Like, what, what does that mean? You're, you're, you're doing... Uh, well, I have, two, I have two companies. So one okay. company is the Salary Report. Okay. And the Salary Report, our tagline is live a free and inspired life. Mm -hmm. 
And the idea is you're responsible to live a free and inspired life and you're responsible to build wealth, Mm -hmm. you know, but we happen to be in a war economy where somebody's trying to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, building wealth in that environment is a different, you know, it's a different approach than it was 20 or 30 years ago. So we, we, we do, you know, we do podcasts and publish uh, quarterly and annual publications. And my theory of, um, you know, I was shocked when I first had to go public and I discovered that most people really didn't understand money and how it worked. Yeah. And the question was, how can I help them do that? And what I got when I started to do these internet radio shows, I'd get these flow of questions. And finally, I, you know, I got tired of answering the same question. I know this happens to you 50 times in one week and you just said, okay, we're going to batch this into a podcast. So yeah. anyway, but the Solaria Report is to help people build good maps of how the money works around them and the politics so that they can navigate. And I always say there's an official reality and there's reality. And the official reality is for the cocktail party and reality is for the investment of your time and money. And our job is to give you a good map of both so you can navigate. But, you know, please don't use reality for the cocktail party or official reality for your investments. Anyways. Right. And then a big thing for us is risk management. What are the risks out there? How do you manage risks? And then the rest is focused on building. Um, we believe that financial equity comes from living equity. Mm-hmm. You know, so it comes from he- having healthy people and healthy kids and healthy families, you know, that build healthy enterprises anyway. So, you know, and if you look back at that, I was an investment advisor for 10 years. All the big wealth that, that my clients made was building successful enterprise. Yeah, that's that's how we made our money. I had Anyways, a, a guy on Wall Street a long time ago tell you, you're not going to get rich off W2 income. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to get rich. You know, a few people can get rich trading the markets, but it's mm-hmm. a it's an exceptional few. The the way people make money is they build great enterprises, you know, or the products and services. And, yeah. and then boom. Anyway, so uh, but the last thing we have a pillar called uh, a curriculum called building wealth. It's six pillars. The last one is called Turtle Fourth, which is about never, ever, ever quit, ever. So it's about continuous learning and continuous action. Anyway, so so uh, we we tend to be a lot more clear and blunt about reality than is usually so, socially acceptable, although since the pandemic has become a lot more socially acceptable. Yeah, people are a lot more, more <laughs> willing to say, wow, that's not really a conspiracy, is it? <laughs> well, here's the thing. If for family risk management, uh-huh. So, for example, we I'm a great believer in tools that help you do things yourself. Mm-hmm. We made we made a series of we call them the COVID-19 forms. And the first was a family. It's called the financial family disclosure form. And it's designed for one spouse to work with another spouse. So let's say your spouse and you don't want your spouse to take the injection, but your spouse is adamant they want to take the injection. The form walks them through a complete due diligence process you know, so that they do do informed consent. And then it says, okay, if you want to take it and take these risks, then we're going to walk through what is the disability insurance you've arranged? What is the life insurance you've arranged? And what is the health insurance you've arranged so that your adverse event does not become my bankruptcy? There you go. Wow. Right. Right. And it's all designed to walk through a process that one makes it transparent and clear, but then protects the family financially from the health risk. So if you had anybody go through that process and still take the shot, I have to ask. 
Uh, I've been told yes. So, so oh. the subscribers use them for a year was the most popular. The family financial disclosure form and the other ones, particularly the employee, because an employee mm -hmm. would do that to an employer and say, okay, here are the risks you're asking me to take, and here's the expenses, and how are you mm -hmm. going to shoulder the expenses? And da, 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 da. So I've had people tell me that uh, that it worked to persuade their spouse not to, and mm -hmm. others say it failed. You know, it depends on the situation. I've had a lot of people come back and say they were able to talk their employer out of a mandate because they decided, I don't want the liability. Yeah, of course. Right, right. So I guess we'll see because, you know, I know you work with CHD and so have we and uh, the liability issue is huge. But um, where do you see the markets? And, and I, I say that in a macro, even global, like governmental sense. How do you see the world we're in right now? Right I'm now, I, I see three sort of three things hitting the markets. The first is we have a tsunami of central bank and 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 treasury money pouring into the to certain aspects of the market to keep them high. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you're seeing for the last, I don't know, it's been going on for over a year, is you have the plunder economy breaking away in the markets from the rest of the economy. Yeah. So someone might say it's the momentum stocks versus the value stocks, but that's not it. To me, it's the plunder economy. versus. So the guys who are building the central control grid are flying and everybody else is sinking, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a bifurcation going on in the markets and it's pure politics. If you look at the amount of subsidy that they are pumping behind the bifurcation that's going up, you know, it is a tsunami of financial methadone. And, and we're literally seeing the markets divorced from, you know, divorced from economic reality, not from political reality. I saw that the, the, there was a CNBC this morning that this, what did they call it? The fantastic seven or something like that, that are just, you know, going up forever and everything else is not. Well, here's the thing. I mean, it's a little bit financing those companies a little bit like betting the ranch and investing in your own digital concentration camp. Yeah. 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 I don't, I'm not doing it. I'm no, not, I agree I, completely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually right now, every month I'm in sort of a savings program and I buy into more value stocks and the more they go down, the more I'm like, great, you know, more value yeah. for me. Yeah. So, so um, anyway, so so I see a tremendous bifurcation in the markets among between the insiders and outsiders, the politically favored, and the politically favored because they're building a complete control grid, and it's mm -hmm. a sea of government money. Mm -hmm. And the frightening part is it's being financed with our pension funds and retirements. We're financing government bonds. And then the money disappears into things that I would argue are not anywhere near as productive as what I would like to see the money go into. Of course. Anyway, so, so I think there's a tremendous floor under the market for political reasons. And of course, that, the question then becomes that floor can last as long as the dollar system can grind on. And what we're all wondering is the dollar continues to be dangerous and dominant kind of keeping dangerous and dominant. Mm -hmm. And what we know is, you know, behind the scenes, we're watching steady erosion of market share, both because people don't want, you know, they don't want their trading system to be something that's been weaponized. Yeah. So, right. Right. So um, we're up to what, a trillion dollars a year in the debt service costs at this point. I mean, that can't go on. Much well, more. if you trust, if you trust the, the official books. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So the the official books are not trustworthy. But unfortunately, the federal government, I don't know if you've read any of my money on the missing money. No. So this is the great taking. Um, uh, from I, I gave a presentation. I was working in the 90s. I had a company in Washington. And we were using relational databases to look at all federal money by place and figure out how it could be re-optimized in a way that would build lots of new wealth, including for the pension funds. Mm -hmm. And my company had a subsidiary. We had a, a joint venture with the Department of Labor, and we had a advisory board of the top pension fund leaders in the country. And I gave them a presentation in April of 1997 on how we could re-engineer the government budget and dramatically reduce the social safety net expenditures and build tremendous new wealth. And it was really using internet technology to decentralize the economy in very powerful wealth producing ways anyway. Mm -hmm. So the president of the largest pension fund in the country, Cal Spurs looked at me and he said, he froze and he said, you don't understand. It's too late. They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. Wow. And I, I thought he meant, they're moving all the money. They're reallocating the equities to the emerging markets is what I thought he meant. It turns out starting that fall in October 1st, 1997, which is the beginning of fiscal 1998, money started going missing in trillions of dollars from the federal government. Wow. As of 9-11, there was $4 trillion missing. The day before 9-11, Rumsfeld gave a press conference and admitted the 2.1 trillion was missing the year before from the Department of Defense. And that amount continued and continued. And in 2017, Dr. Mark Skidmore of Michigan State University and I, um, he got his students to do a complete survey of all the documents. And it turned out as of fiscal 2015, 21 trillion was missing. And when we published the report, 21 trillion was the amount of outstanding debt. Wow. Now. So where do you think that went? Offshore accounts or to China or where? So I, I think there are many possibilities. I think mm -hmm. it left, but essentially when you bring down a system, you know, if, if you're going to build new systems for your company, you're going to keep the old systems going and you're going to move money and build the new systems and you're going to run them in parallel. And then when you're ready to switch over, you bring the old system down. Yeah. Right. And I think essentially that was a financial coup d'etat. You, mm -hmm. you had the bankers decide they didn't want to share they didn't want the traditional balance of power between monetary and fiscal policy. So they were just going to put America in a debt trap and take control of fiscal policy, which is essentially what they've done, you know, so with a I've little bit of wondered, election fraud. I've always wondered what their upside is from that. I mean, is it just because they're going to be an oligarchy of massive corporations that are control everything or what? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of downside to them to allow the American, American economy to collapse. I don't think I don't think they think the American economy is going to collapse. I think mm -hmm. they think it's going to be re-engineered. Mm -hmm. So I think what they think is they can they can compost. In other words, you know, think of this as a human body mm -hmm. and you've got a tapeworm and the tapeworm mm -hmm. is extracting subsidy and they think they can do a controlled demolition of different aspects of the economy um, and population, bring them down. And then what they can do is emerge with a new, leaner, meaner sort of high-tech society. Mm -hmm. so, so look at it this way. It's 1997. You started the coup. Essentially, what you're doing is you're taking all the retirement savings in America 
and you're moving them into a new system. And you're basically saying, I can pay for nursing homes or I can build a juggernaut into space yeah. and new technology. So I'd rather invest in, you know, a global economy and in space and building this juggernaut and why pay for nursing homes? So you kill them with the vaccine or what? Well, what happened starting right after the money, uh, that decision happened, I believe, if you look at when they approved Oxycontin and the, and the, and the, um, you know, sort of the whole series of the pain mills and the predatory lending by HUD and the other federal institutions, you kind of hit the poor neighborhoods with a combination of illegal and legal drugs and predatory lending. And you started a process that started to bring down life expectancy. Because if you can't balance the books financially and fiscally, you balance the books by either lowering life expectancy or extending retirement age, right? Yeah. Or lowering oh. benefits, right? Yeah. But they haven't lowered benefits. So they haven't lowered, they haven't extended the retirement age, but they have lowered life expectancy. And of course, the pandemic, you know, contributed to continuing to bring that down. Now you're replenishing with new people, you're bringing in immigrants, but those are immigrants you don't have to raise, educate, and you have no promises to them. Yeah, the empire of pain essentially is what the Oxycontin stuff was. Um, so do you think this will be successful? No, I think it's gonna fail. Mm -hmm. So the reason I left Washington in 1998, I had an option, I was litigating with the federal government, I had an option to settle. Mm -hmm. And it took me about a week to decide, am I going to settle or I'm going to fight? And I decided, no, I'm going to fight. Good for you. And, and one of the reasons I decided I was going to fight was I thought their plan would fail. And if you look at the people who were essentially leading, it's funny, there was a, a wonderful article written in about 2004 by the guy who runs the Council on Executive, uh, Council on Foreign Relations. And he basically said in a very gracious way, you know, the neocons are going to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. And you wanted to say to him, you know, <laughs> why can the old Republican wasps not stop the neocons? What's the problem here? You know, because in my day, they could always do that. And um, uh, I, I think if you look at the leadership of this plan, um, I, I don't think this is leadership that can run or, or pull off a global, a successful global empire. Now, you know, I think the problem is before they fail, they could do huge damage or yeah. they're doing huge yeah. damage. Oh, of course. So you think it's right. incom incompetence at the top is the... the the, uh, well, I don't know, Bill Gates. So here's the thing. I think, you know, Leonard Cohen has a line in one of his songs. We were blinded by the beauty of our weapons. If you mm -hmm. look at their success with invisible weaponry and with mind control technology, I think they're so confident in their technology and they think we're so stupid that if you look at what they've been able to get away with, 
you know, they've, it's like a horse who has the bit in its teeth. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, it's working. And they keep getting away with it. And every time they get away with it, I mean, I remember, you know, back throughout my entire career, I'd see them get away with it and they get more confident, more confident, mm-hmm. more confident, more confident, you know, and I used to do these interviews of people who had done financial fraud for the intelligence agencies. And they were like, we stole 20 million and then nothing happened. So we did it, you know, we did 40 and then we, yeah. you know, and so they've been, it, 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 you know, it, it, it took a long time to get to the level it, it's at, but I think they have confidence and they don't, you know, they don't understand that they, they can't, if, if you look at that system, it's not going to get them all the way there. The worm is going to turn before then. Yeah. This I agree. Is, right. Because it's, it's, you know, asymmetric warfare, right? It's, it's going to be the, the little engine that could, that blows this up that nobody expects, you know, right. some type of reaction in the media or you're seeing it now. Um, so yeah, it's very dangerous. Well, I'll tell you that my favorite Bible story is the story of Gideon. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. the story of Gideon, mm-hmm. but, but in the story of Gideon, the Gideon is asked to, by the angel of the Lord to throw the Midianites out of Israel. And the Midianites are these hateful, suspicious people and they end up killing each other and i think that's what's going to happen i think as the population begins to turn um you know it takes them they're slow to wake up it's the you know that old expression about the sleeping giant but once the sleeping giant starts to wake up which is which is happening then you're going to get the midianite thing and i think the midianite thing is what's going to blow it up and you're right you know i don't know what the little red uh, engine will be, but it's coming. So, uh, all the economic data that's being put out is false, right? I mean, you can't trust any of it. Jobs numbers, all that stuff. I I don't know if it's all false, but I stopped using it years ago. What happened was in 1998, when I was trying to sort out what was going on, Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand from the data. And so I started to drive around the country and that's and I also started to track all the money going missing from the federal government and the um, the laws being passed to allow them to officially lie with the statistics. And I came to the conclusion that the statistics were sufficiently um, not useful that I just stopped yeah, bothering to, to trade on. Yeah. Right. Well, part of it is, uh, do you know about FASB 56? Oh, back in the day, maybe. Okay, so in 2018, um, while while the Kavanaugh hearings were going on, whenever hearings like that go on, I want to know, okay, what's the thing they're trying to get done behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. Um, What they did, both House and Senate, Republicans and Democrat, and the White House all together, agreed in an administrative policy that said, essentially, we we can keep secret books. Mm. So now the financial statements of the United States government, in my opinion, are completely meaningless. Federal government has not uh, published uh, uh, audited financial statements as required by law for, what is it, 24 plus 28 years. Wow. And now, and, and, you know, as of 2018, so now we have six years where essentially they've given themselves, they've had an administrative policy that says, we don't have to obey the constitution on financial management. We don't have to obey the financial management laws and we don't have to obey the financial management regulation. We're all going to agree to that by administrative policy, Republicans and Democrats, house and Senate, Trump, white house. This was Trump. Trump did this. Is this why you don't have a budget and it's just spend as much as you can. Do you think there's a plan behind this, this massive spending? 
or or is it just like whatever they so, can get done? So there there absolutely is a plan. Uh -huh. The problem is is you have an you have a a it's not really just an organization because it's a pot of resources of both credit. You know, you have credit, you have money, and you have assets. And the way everybody solves their problems, their you know, I want this for this and I want mm -hmm. this for this is by giving each other more money, whether it's a productive use or not. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the waste is beyond anything you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And so, so you settle your political differences by giving each other monies or agreeing to steal from everybody else. Yeah. And so you have a political dynamic that has a negative return on investment. And what very few people understand is when you have a negative return on investment, it's always going to go down. And it's it's not because there's not enough money. It's because there hasn't been enough uh, uh, holding everybody to the standard of fundamental productivity. You know, it's right. no it's, accountability. Well, it's Atlas Shrugged. You've read Atlas yeah. Shrugged. Yeah, of course. We're, yeah. we're in we're in Atlas Shrugged that has an ability to print money, the invisible weaponry that will be behind the printing of more money to keep Atlas Shrugged going is unbelievable. But the one thing they can all agree on is steal more for Hamas, right? Yeah. That's one way to solve their differences. And so in that sense, the dynamic of it, the political dynamic of it is completely and utterly out of control. Because oh, there's, hold on a there's, sorry. Go there's, ahead. No, there's nobody who can say no. Yeah. It's a, well, speaking of that, how do you prepare? <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you think if somebody's, you know, 60 years old, they have some money, they have a family, but they haven't done much. What would you do? Well, first of all, I would do whatever I could to not lose my state of amusement. Yeah. <laughs> don't, Mental don't go health. to fear. Fear, fear will not help here. Okay. Yeah. What you, you know, and this is why we call that last pillar in our building wealth turtling turtle. Mm -hmm. It's called turtle fourth. Mm -hmm. um, what you need to do is you need to start taking continuous action. The most important question. So I have a couple of interviews, one on the Salary report and one on financial rebellion called where to stash your cash in 2022 and where to stash your cash in 2024. And it goes through literally scores and scores of different ways of making yourself resilient financially. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, obviously, we don't have enough time to yeah, go through sure. all of them today. But the single most important thing you have to do is not ask where you need to put your money. The single most important question is, who do you need to put your money with? Mm -hmm. Okay. Starting with when the you know what hits the you know what, if the you know what hits the, and I don't mean some big global bang. It, you're in Kentucky and the power goes out for three weeks, yep. right? Who can you count on? Okay. So, you know, not I necessarily to, a banker, but some, a person. Yeah. Well, I, I used to have people tell me, so, so I'll use this story and forgive this. I'm sorry, Salary Report subscribers. You're about to hear this for the 50th time. When the, when my litigation with the department of justice started, they, they had a way of cutting off all credit and income and, you know, they just completely isolated me or were trying to. And at that point, I didn't realize it until later, I had gifted or lent 250000 mm -hmm. to friends and family because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd always made a lot of money. And mm -hmm. my attitude was, that's what you have money for, to help your friends and family. Mm -hmm. So I had a wealthy uncle who said, well, she always helped everybody, so I'm going to help her. And he stepped in and really helped see me through. 
But the other thing is everybody said, well, I guess she needs it back. And over the next 11 years of, you know, living literally down to peanut butter and jelly, that 200 people gifted or repaid 250,000 to the dime. And wow. that money was the money that kept me alive. And that was the money they couldn't shut off because it was in the people bank. Yep. It wasn't in some financial institution that was subject to sanctions. It was in the people bank. And so it was really funny because I had had to bust a $500,000 401k mm -hmm. um, for phony baloney compliance games they were playing with us. And I paid $225,000 in taxes and fees. So my CPA, we won the litigation, which was a miracle. And my CPA comes and says, let's, you know, let's refund up the 401k. And I said, no, I've learned my lesson. I am taking that money and I am bonusing it out on the people back to all the people who saw me, you know, one, I'm making sure everybody gets repaid back if they mm -hmm. loan, but I'm, I'm going to make sure all the people who really saw me through get, get, you know, bonuses and everything. And I'm putting it back on the people back because then it's going to be harder for them to steal it. Again. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. About, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So here's the thing who, you know, is it your kids? Is it your siblings? Who, who Who's going to be there for you? Yeah. And, and you better make sure, you know, that they are in good shape and in prepared to help you. You know, do you need mm -hmm. to help them finance a house? Do you need to help them pay off their student loans? Do you need to, you know, I, it's thousands of fact patterns. Everybody's different, but you need to understand that you need to invest in the people who are there for you. The other thing is you need, if you look around at the key in institutions you use, and, and the big one for me is your bank. Mm -hmm. Do you have a bank you can trust? Do you have a bank who knows you? Do you have a successful relationship with a great bank? Mm -hmm. Because banks are shutting people off. Banks are, you know, freezing their accounts and it takes them a, a month or two to get their business account back open so they can function. Yeah. No you know, kidding. Right. We, so we've in, been banked five times, I think. So. Oh, good Lord. Truth. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like much. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Yeah. So you need to have in every aspect of your life, you need to have people who are ethical and who are competent. I mean, I, it was amazing. I was an investment advisor for 10 years. You know, the number one cause of diminution of family wealth that I dealt with hmm. was healthcare corruption. People uh. were poisoned. Families were being poisoned. And, and that poisoning was very expensive and trying to deal with that poisoning in a fraudulent system was very expensive. So the difference between having, you know, don't tell me that a highly competent ethical doctor is more expensive than the guy who's going to poison you. I mean, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, that's a whole, we could talk for hours on the healthcare yeah. corruption because it's, it, you can't even trust these people anymore. They're just drug pictures. Yeah. I know, but, but. When you look at your, you know, because living equity, your health, your culture, your education, that is the source. You know, that is one of the, the biggest inputs into financial building, financial equity. And unless you're willing to invest in your living equity and build it, you will have no financial equity. It, it's always terrifying to me to see somebody completely focused on their stock or crypto portfolio when their kids are being poisoned in front of their eyes and they're not noticing. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of courage that needs to happen for parents and uh, heads of families, I should say. And, right. and, and sometimes it's tough love, like you need to realize what's happening around you 
to your kids. I don't have a lot of time left because we're on the clock because we've started some syndication relationships that are blocked off in time blocks. But last question I have for you, you mentioned Trump. What are your thoughts? I heard some stuff you said about it recently, but I just want to get your thoughts for our audience on his role in all this or not role or what you think of him. So I'm I'm being tough on Trump. I voted for Trump in 2016 and gave him money. And I voted for him again in 2020. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, Trump put, I, I just checked the numbers, Trump put 18 billion behind Operation Warp Speed. Mm -hmm. And he put a guy who was head of brain machine interface in charge. So, you know, here's the reality. If I have a very famous video called the Red Button Story. Mm -hmm. The president, we have three people running for president and they will not stand up to the neocons. Mm -hmm. You know, they won't. And, and part of the reason they won't is politics is the art of the possible, right? They can't stand up against the neocons unless the general population will stand up to the neocons. True. And, and, and hoping the president is going to do it is not going to do it. That has to be us. Yeah. It has to be us. You know, and then the question is, if we will do it, will any of these candidates do it? Now, I'm I'm sure the Democrats will not do it. So the question is, would Trump do it if we stood up? Would Kennedy do it if we stood up? That's the question. And that's why I keep saying it's a long way to November. But if you want the best possible outcome, you're going to have to stand up in this country one county at a time. We yeah. have to re-engineer they're they want to do the going they're doing the going direct reset if we want to do a building wealth reset it's going to be one county at a time it's going to be what you do in tulsa is completely different than what you do in brooklyn and that's why centralized models don't work but you got to do it bottom up and you've got to do it state by state the states are the place that have the power you got to do it state by state and 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 the and the 10 percent of the people in every county and every state have got to start screaming and lead this I don't know if you just saw the latest survey. Um, Steve Kirsch just published that he did. He funded a survey of a thousand households. And I forget what the date was. It was sometime in 20 when, when the injection started from that date on those thousand uh, uh, households at 194 deaths. And they attributed half of them to the COVID injection. Oh yeah. My father, they I, actually, they euthanized him with remdesivir, but you know, that's another whole story. Mm. Um, which is another accountable accountability project I have. Right. Catherine, thanks. I want to have you back down the road. I hope you'll consider it a fantastic. Oh, sure. And, um, we're one of the few outlets that actually tell the truth around here and we've suffered the consequences, but you know, I'm sh I knew if Dolan had a partner, he was going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you.